Hey everybody, welcome back to another Tuesday episode of Doable Discipleship. It's the Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith. Um, or as Brandon's going to whisper like a mouse. I'm not going to whisper. Oh, what? the show that helps you grow. Okay, fine. And it's like I, ASMR. That's kind of weird. Set, I set you up and whatever. <laughs> um, my name is Jason Whelan. That's Brandon Robinson. And um, so we are doing something a little bit different, a little bit special for the next few weeks. Uh, so we have a program here at Saddleback called Foundations. You've heard us talk about it a number of times. We talked about it a whole bunch. And that's because it is a course on doctrine. It's a course on on, on foundational truths that every Christian should know. Um, so it goes through topics like the Bible, uh, creation, salvation, the afterlife, um, good and evil, all this kind of good stuff. And um, so, we are, are currently running an online version of Foundations right now. And a big part of that that's been really cool is doing some um, question and answer sessions with Pastor Tom Holliday, who wrote Foundations with Kay Warren. And um, Brandon, you've gotten to be on a couple of these Zoom calls. How awesome are they on a scale of one to awesome? Awesome. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah, they're great. It's it's really nice to hear uh, Pastor Tom, who, who's spent a lot of his life studying studying these very subjects, um, really just get in and break down. I think what I like is their regular people questions, yeah, um, because they're coming from people just like us who are curious, who want to know, um, and who want clarity. So I've really enjoyed these Q and A's. Yeah, I think what's awesome about about Tom and how he um, answers these questions is it's not just like you're reading an encyclopedia. It's it, right, it's not right. like you have a question about this topic and you're just reading the encyclopedia entry. He he answers your question from a, a theological perspective, but then also from a pastoral perspective. Mm-hmm. So he always gets the personal side in there too, which is always really cool. And um, as you said, Tom is just a master at this. And so, um, um, yeah, and they've just been a lot of fun. So today, yeah. what we're going to be doing is making available to you guys, our Doable Discipleship listeners, the Q&A that we did with Pastor Tom on the topic of the Bible. Um, so that's what we're, what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks. We're going to do the Bible today. Next week, we'll have the Q&A on God then the Q&A on Jesus, and then the Q&A on the Holy Spirit. Um, so these are great. They're probably questions that you've had that you've just always kind of wanted to ask somebody. And uh, I, I bet you that that a question that you have had is asked and answered in this Q&A. So um, without, oh, I, 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 I did want to make clear too, that these are, is, is a part of a program that's going on at Saddleback Church. So it's not, it's not like a, a special episode of Doable. It wasn't done specifically for this podcast. Right. We are using a, a pre-existing program and going, so it'll sound different. It was done over Zoom. So the audio quality may be a little different than what you are used to um, from our podcast. And, uh, but it's still great. You can still hear everything. It's still, it's still wonderful. Um, and you'll hear our friend of the pod, Linda Tokar, uh, kind of hosts these evenings. So she's the one who is asking Tom the questions that were submitted by people that are taking foundations. Um, if you're interested in foundations, feel free to check it out at saddleback.com slash foundations. Um, you can also find the course material to buy um, by going to pastors.com and searching for foundations there. Um, so... Brandon, anything else that we should add beforehand? You covered it. Cool. I think we Without should just further, get into the conversation. Perfect. So let's jump in with Linda and Pastor Tom and Brandon. I think you were on this one uh, for mm-hmm. the Bible Q&A of Foundations. So you guys, I'm really excited about tonight. We have Linda Tokar with us. Um, Just give me a quick second to brag on Linda. Linda has been doing foundations for 18 years now. She told me that earlier today and that blew my mind. So Linda is like our preeminent foundation scholar, key volunteer, 
all of it. Um, so she's going to be pitching these questions, hosting tonight, uh, and helping us out. And she is an incredible uh, just resource and has a wealth of wisdom. So Linda, I'm going to unmute you, and I thank you for being on the call. Just give me a quick second to find your name. I got you. Linda, right. you are live now. Um, so Linda and Pastor Tom, make sure I uh, definitely unmute Tom. Unmute you, right? <laughs> <laughs> we we need you. Give me one second. Just looking through our list that we have. Oh, I can do it just like this. Awesome. There he is. So Great. Linda, Pastor Tom, I'm going to give it over to you guys. Linda, go ahead and uh, throw out our first question of the night. Pastor Tom, now, do you have the email I sent, or do you want me to read you the questions? No, as I, have? I, no I think it'd be good. It's more fun to hear them read. You know, I okay. like it that way. I did get the email. Uh, before okay. you read that, what I thought yeah. I'd do is um, do a little bit of review, just sort of where we are. I mean, very little bit, and then jump into some of the questions. And uh, some of you sent in questions, and I think we'll be able to get to all of those. But uh, I'm hopeful we'll have some live questions. And with the number of people on... Uh, we could type them in the chat. If it's easier for you to type, you can do that. That's fine. And then we can pick them up. But I'd also love to hear you ask the question. You know, live yeah. is great on Zoom. That's why we're on Zoom. That's why we do this. So uh, um, so let me just remind you, and then uh, a little bit through, I'll remind you of the second part. Uh, I know you guys have this memorized, you know, the Bible, but I just want to remind you uh, of, this, of the sessions that we went through. In Bible 1, we talked about three important words and their meaning. There's not going to be a test. Don't worry. No test, you guys. We talked about a revelation. We talked about inspiration. We talked about illumination, which is really what the two weeks of the Bible go through. So revelation, uh, God authored the words, God authored the Bible, uh, inspiration, uh, the truth that uh, everything that we see in the Bible is from the Lord and inspiration. Uh, the fact that uh, I need to be inspired by God's Spirit within me to understand the Spirit of God's words, or the words that the Spirit wrote. And, and then I think in, uh, one of my favorite parts of Foundations, we talk about, what if you're talking to somebody, how do you explain how we know that the Bible came from God, rather than, I just believe it. It just feels different than a, any other book, which us as believers, we're okay with that, because we have God's Spirit in us. But unbelievers or somebody that's just trying to figure this out, they don't know that yet. So we walk through, you guys remember the external evidence uh, that says in his Bible's in a historical book, the internal evidence that it's a unique book. That's the evidence, you know, that it's written in, by, in all these continents by all these people over all these centuries, and yet it tells one story. Uh, the personal evidence that it's a powerful book, how it changes lives. And then finally, the fact that Jesus said the Bible came from God, his affirmation of that. We talked in the first session about how we know we have the right books, which is a question a lot of people have, and it's the testimony of the Bible, and we talked about the history of the church, and also the power of God. God made sure the right books got in there. And then we also talked a little bit about what does it mean when we say the Bible is inspired, uh, that it means that God wrote the Bible through people, that uh, the Holy Spirit is the author, and then uh, that God's Word is to be the final authority in my life. If it is God's Word, if it is inspired, that means it has authority like nothing else. So I just thought I'd just throw that out, and then a little bit through, we'll, we'll do the other one, uh, just as a reminder. So with that I in mind... I can jump in really quick, Pastor Tom. Uh, just really quick, guys, I want to just make one point. We're recording uh, this Foundations live. Um, and the really cool thing about it is we're going to actually put it on our doable discipleship podcast. So the questions you have tonight and the questions you guys are asking have incredible reach, really excited. It's going to bless a lot of people. Also, if you have questions that aren't being, um, uh, read aloud through with Linda, go ahead and drop those questions in the chat. We are moderating the chat. So we'll get to those questions and we'll make sure and hopefully, um, we could get those things answered for you guys. Yes. So with that in mind, really one of my favorite things is answering uh, questions. I, I like the live ones better because then it's, I just got to figure it out off the, off the top of my head, which I enjoy doing. I enjoy the spontaneity of that. Uh, but I also appreciate you guys who wrote some in earlier. So let's, let's remind ourselves of some of those. Sure. So Pastor Tom, the first one that came in said, I don't fully understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. That comes from Bible Part 2, right, in the Bible study rules. And it says, I think I do, but I'm not sure. I'm thinking along the lines of foreshadowing Jesus's bloodshed in the New Testament. 
So I think that comes from the Bible study rules in part two. No, that's a really good question. And uh, you, you guys probably remember me talking about uh, how my friend Ron Rhodes talks about how the uh, Old Testament is like a dimly lit room filled with treasures. Remember this? And that the New Testament sheds light on those treasures. So when you read just the Old Testament, oftentimes it feels like I don't quite I don't quite come to grips with what this means, but when you read it in light of the New Testament, then you're able to understand. So that's why, I, you know, a lot of people when they say, and we have a question later, I think, about reading through the Bible, and we'll say more about it then. But a lot of people, when, when somebody tells them, okay, read through the Bible, you go, well, it's like any other book. So I should start with the book of Genesis, and I should read to the end. And that might work for like one person out of a thousand. Honestly, it might work, because uh, you could do it any way and it would work. But for the vast majority of us, you want to obviously read the New Testament first, because that's where you get all the light. And then you go back and you read the Old Testament and it helps you to understand the light of, of what was given. So I, I believe, uh, Corinthians tells us that all these stories that are in the past uh, were given to give us hope now. So they're not just like former stories that don't mean anything for now. Every story in the Old Testament, I believe, is an example of hope and life for us mm -hmm. now. So that's why, uh, like, when, when I'm going through something new like this, like the COVID-19 crisis, change, massive change, I always look to the stories of people in the Bible who went through the same thing. And the Old Testament is a treasure of that. Like, if you think about change, just think about how many people went through change in the Old Testament. Noah, his, the whole world changed. Everything started over again. I mean, bigger than even, we're, a lot bigger than we're going through now. Or Moses, the, the change of going from uh, Pharaoh's household to the people of Israel, uh, going from uh, the promise, going to the promised land with the people of Israel. Uh, David, he was a shepherd. He becomes a king, uh, you know, the change of Mary, Jesus's mother, and what she went through as she saw uh, the transformation of the world through the ministry of her son, who she knew was God. Uh, the changes that you see in, in, in Paul's life or in Peter's life, those are, those are uh, in the Old Testament, we're talking about the Old Testament, those are the treasures of the Old Testament to me, that you look back and you find all of those changes that happen in people's lives. So the stories of the Old Testament are not just like, well, stories that don't have anything to do with us today, because the New Testament confirms those stories are there to give us hope today. So you should look for hope in all the stories of people's lives in the Old Testament. That was awesome, Pastor Tom. Thank you. Um, not seeing anything in the chat. I'm going to go to the next one that we received online. And it says, what is the best so way what, to... So what Linda's saying is, as I'm talking about a question, if it brings up another question, because that happens a lot of times, go ahead and put it in the chat. Like... Okay, he's saying this. Wait a minute. I got something more. That's fine. Go ahead, and we'll just follow on uh, if that's what you think. So thank you, Linda. Thanks, Pastor Tom. So the next one says, what is the best way to explain the historical accuracy of the Bible to a non-believer who questions it? All right. This is great, because uh, a non-believer uh, is looking at all they've heard all their lives and all these rumors about the Bible and how historically accurate it is. And so I think the place to begin with them is to compare it like we do, like we, when we talk about the historical accuracy, to compare it with other historical works and say, well, you know, when historians look at the Bible, they see it as an historical book. You know, this is the Encyclopedia Britannica says this, that so-and-so says this. Uh, it's not seen as a non-historical book. And why do they see it that way? Well, if they want to go deeper into that, then you go into, well, some of the ways that historians figure things out. Uh, what, how many copies of a book? We talked about that, you remember. You can go back and look in your notes about that. Uh, if there's only one copy, it's not that historical. If there's many, many copies, and they know that's what was really written. But then historians also go into, are the places really real? Right. You know, can we go back and see those places? So we can go back and we can see Jericho. We can see the places that the Bible talks about. Jerusalem is very obvious that we can see it still today. So the, play, the historical places that the Bible writes about are very strong. This is why uh, when you go to the Book of Mormon, for instance, the Book of Mormon talks about a lot of things, or a section of things about America and Jesus coming to America. And it talks about places in America and events in America, and no historical background for that has ever been discovered. You can't go and dig up where that place is supposed to be and find, oh yeah, here's where this city 
really was. It's not there because it never was there. It was made up. It was a made up story in the first place. So when you start to see those affirmations, that's the beginning of it, that by all the standards of ancient history, then the Bible stands up to all those standards. And if you want to say the Bible's not a historical book, well, then you also have to say then Julius Caesar is not historical and that the Gallic Wars is not historical and all those other things that we see back from that same time period. You can't play it both ways against the other. So I think you start there with, with if they're really sort of a historical thinker. Uh, but I think anytime you're talking about the accuracy of the Bible as an unbeliever, you also need to get in the, the story of your life. So they want to just talk about history. You need to talk about your story. It's really important as a part of that. Otherwise, it just becomes an argument. And they may act like they don't believe you. A lot of times people act like, oh, I don't really believe you. When you say, well, the other thing for me personally is the confirmation of how the, the, those truths that are in the Bible have absolutely transformed the way my life. I mean, I had addictions that I used to have that God has helped me to overcome. I had depression in my life that I had, that even though I struggle with it sometimes, God is able to come into that and give me hope like I never expected. So you start to tell your story. And what they'll do, a lot of times unbelievers, they won't, they won't go, oh, that's awesome. I love your story, like a believer would. They will like sort of shake their head and, you know, but I'm telling you, it's getting to their heart in ways that you don't know. It is just getting through into their heart. So it's not the best audience, you know, facially. Uh, they're not giving you all the facial cues that you'd like in that moment. But as mm -hmm. far as their heart, it is sinking in. And we talked about this in, in Foundations in the Bible, that the Bible is, uh, you know, it's a sword. It penetrates to the division of whole soul and spirit. If I've got a sword and I, and, and I want to swing it at you and you say, I don't believe in that sword, if I start to swing it, you're still going to duck. Even if you say, I don't believe in it, because guess what? You can see, you can sense that it has power. And when you say to somebody, here's my story, they may act like they don't believe it, but their heart, something's happening. Something humbling is happening in their heart. They got to come to a confrontation moment about the truth of the Bible. So, so I talk about history, but also tell your story. I think that's the shortest answer to that. I love that. I love that. The and next somebody one. said, Kitty talked about all the Bible artifacts that were discovered, including the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is just awesome. You know, Dead Sea Scrolls are just an awesome example of how the accuracy of the Bible was maintained through the years. Uh, you know, uh, well, you, you heard all about it in Foundations. I'm, I'm going to, my, my promise to myself tonight was to try not to reteach what you just heard taught. So I'm trying hard. You guys got to pray for me, all right? <laughs> <laughs> You live it and breathe it, so it's okay. We understand. <laughs> okay, um, here's the third one that came in. What is the best order to read the Bible chronologically? And you started to address this earlier, but why don't you hit that a little bit more? So there is no one best way to read the Bible. You know, I think the first time, as I said, that you're reading it through, you should read the New Testament first. I do not think you should start with the book of Revelation. I do think that the Revelation is last in the Bible for a reason. You really need to understand all of the New Testament and a lot of the Old Testament before you can understand the book of Revelation. People think it's confusing because it has stuff about beasts and lambs. And yeah, that is confusing. But it's even more confusing if you don't understand the of the new and the old testament it's the sum sum up of all of those things so you have to bring all of those together in understanding the book of revelation so don't don't start there that's that's key number one and then uh start with the new testament if you're reading it through for the first time read it through in a version that is best understandable to you we recommended a new living translation as a good uh, version to read it through but you could try several different ones. Get you version and try several different versions, see which one you like best, and then read it through in, uh, in that version. And Kitty's saying that John is great to start with. I absolutely agree that a gospel, uh, John, Matt, anyone that you like, all of them are good. But John says it's written that so that you might believe. So that if you want to have more faith, it's good to read the book of John first, because the very purpose of it is to increase your belief. So a new believer or somebody who's wanting to believe, the Bible itself says John is the right book to, uh, to start with. 
uh, I think also, and I'm, I'm going to have you guys unmute Shondell right now. My wife joined me, Shondell, who's been working with foundations for 25 years. Sorry, Linda, a little bit longer than you. I hate to say it. Uh, and she's, uh, she's been teaching people these last two years a lot about some different Bible reading plans. So I thought she might just say something about different Bible reading plans that are helpful to people. <laughs> I haven't been teaching. I just been been, been well, participating. You've been, you've been teaching your minister's wives. Some, but um, anyway, you like the just, way we talk. You know, we're in separate rooms. We're talking to each other. This is what married couples do during the COVID nineteen <laughs> crisis. <laughs> um, no, I just you you guys have seen all the uh, versions on YouVersion on the Bible app. And I just have landed on one. And he, the reason he said that is because I just love what I'm doing this year. And it's called the 49 week plan, I think. And it is based on the fact that everything in the New Testament, I mean, the Old Testament is reflected in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, it's a chronological through the New Testament. Sometimes it may only take a few verses of a chapter, um, and then it gives the the um, chapters from the Old Testament that relate in some way. Oh, that's cool. Um, tell the story or give background or so, like, I just finished, I'm in Acts, and um, so I just finished Peter's, I mean, Stephen's sermon, which I didn't remember was so long, and it gives the whole history of the Israelites. <laughs> so they would give, like, three verses. You know, and then they tell all that story from the Old Testament, and then they give the next three verses, you know, or and then I'm into where Paul is talking uh, in Pisidian Antioch, and um, and it's giving all the background, and I just really love that. Or like it'll it'll talk about David somewhere in the New Testament, and then it'll give a Psalm of David, and then it'll give the the event that was happening right then in Second Samuel or whatever. It's really cool. Shondell, was that the 49-week challenge? I just want to put it in the chat for them. Yep, that's it. 49 oh, that's cool. I love this, doing this with the chat going on. This is better than any question and answer thing I've ever done because we get your guys' input as well as my input, which is awesome. And a couple of you talked about the easy-to-read version, which maybe your kids started to read, but then you started to read it and thought, this is awesome. So that's maybe another good version to use. Um, I've used, I've also done a Bible reading plan I've enjoyed, uh, which you can find a lot of places, which is like uh, some of you said chronological. Chronological doesn't start with, chronological by when the books uh, probably were written. Uh, we know that Job was probably the first book that was written, even though the events might come later, obviously, than in the beginning. Everything comes later than that. Uh, it starts with when the books were written. That's an interesting way to do it as well. I think the hardest way, I, it's okay to do it this way, but I, I believe the hardest way is Genesis to all the way through. Mm -hmm. uh, why? Well, a couple it's things. boring. <laughs> Oh, maybe you need to mute Shondell again. I don't know. Yeah. She's, she's sorry. We got commentary. I knew. I meant. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, it's really tough to read through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Boom, 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 boom. You get to Leviticus, and you heard me say, I think, in the teaching that you get Leviticus. You just, I can't take this anymore. You just get this moment. But also, when you get to the Gospels, it's difficult to read through them one after the other. It's better to break it up because you want to hear the story of Jesus. If you're going to read through a year, it's good to break up the, the story of Jesus's life and do it four times a little separated from each other. So that's why I like a chronological uh, sometimes as well. There's a lot of good ones out there. You just try, try several of them and see which one you like. Uh, the other advice about uh, reading through the Bible is a lot of people say, I want to read through the whole Bible. I wouldn't make that your goal. I'd make it your goal to read through the New Testament. That, make that your goal. Do that. That's a pretty good goal. Uh, most Christians have never accomplished even that goal. And so I would encourage you to start there. And then once you've done that, then you can go, okay, now I'm going to take a step up and read through the, uh, the, the entire Bible. All right. That's a lot about Bible reading plans, but this is good practical stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> It's good stuff. Here's the next question I have. I've heard people question the Bible as infallible. Do all denominations believe the Bible is perfect? 
So you remember in foundations, we talked about the idea of infallible and, you know, we talked about uh, how every word is perfect. Every part is perfect. People even use the word infallible in different ways. Uh, as you start to read theologians as, as they talk about the Bible. And uh, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd speak about denominations now. And it, I, I think I'd speak more about individual theologians or individual pastors mm -hmm. in those denominations and what they believe. Because even in a denomination where maybe it's more what sometimes is called liberal, and that means liberal not in its politics, but liberal in its theology. Liberal theology would lean towards uh, not everything that's written in the Bible was necessarily written by God. The ideas were there, but there's also ideas of man maybe in there, and you got to sort out one from the other. That would be one of the basic tenets of what would be more liberal theology. And you can find that in pastors in any denomination or theologians mm -hmm. in any denomination. Uh, so yes, there are pastors and teachers who would say, no, I don't think it's all written by God. And then the question I have is, well, what's that based on? I mean, how, how do you base that? Uh, Thomas Jefferson famously, famously in American history wrote his own Bible. I don't know if you remember this from history. He just decided there were parts he didn't like of the New Testament particularly. So you can still find the Thomas Jefferson Bible today where he went through and he just took out the parts he didn't like. And he just left in the parts that he liked, you know, and uh, you remember the quote in foundations that, you know, if you leave in the Bible, what you like, what you, what you like and take out what you don't like, it's not the Bible you're trusting, it's yourself you're trusting. And that's my problem when people say the Bible is not infallible. When, when you start to look into the depths of people who say it's not all God's word, they get into some very complicated historical stuff and they start to argue about, oh, who could have written this part and who could have written this part? And they get, they get into alphabet soup about it, actually. They've got J-E-D-P kind of stuff and all these letters that they talk about. And yet, having looked at this for a long time, and studied a lot of people who have looked at this, when you sort of roll back the curtain on all of this, what it really comes down to is that thing we just talked about. Is the Bible my final authority? Mm -hmm. And if there's something the Bible says I don't like, and the Bible's my final authority, I got a choice in that moment. I'm either gonna change, or I'm gonna say the Bible's not all true. And am I saying every theologian that's ever said the Bible's not all true, does it because of personal reasons more than theological reasons? I don't know that to be true, but in every case that I've looked at, I found that to be true. Mm. Because the truth of the matter is, it's about my personal life. That's what it comes down to. It's about what the Bible is challenging me to do. And when you hear God's Word say, this is how you have to handle your life, and you you don't want to live that kind of way, or you're guilty because you have lived that kind of way, and you don't want to have to ask for forgiveness. It leads people down these roads that sound very theological, but you peel it back, and guess what? It's all about, it's all about what's happened in their lives. Mm -hmm. this, this is a story about an unbeliever, but many years ago, I met with a guy named Tom, and he wanted to talk about all his, he was an unbeliever who wanted to talk about all of his intellectual objections to the Bible. And his friend brought him in, and he was a very pleasant guy. I really enjoyed my conversation with him. And he had a lot of the objections that we looked at together in Foundations. And we talked about them, and pleasant talk, pleasant talk. Uh, I told him some of the answers, and he just sort of nodded his head. But then finally we got to the end, and I said, I just got to ask you, is there, is there some point in your life where you began to really feel like you couldn't trust God with some of these things? And he told me the story of when his mother died. Mm. And his mother was a good woman. She went to church and she had cancer and she died with a lot of pain in her life. And he talked about, she was in a, a, a Catholic hospital and he saw a cross on the wall. And he, and he cursed that cross because of what had happened to his mom. Well, he didn't have intellectual problems with the Bible. Those intellectual problems were, were a smokescreen for the personal problems with he had, which he had with grief and why God would allow evil in this world, which we all do have to confront. But he was covering it with this smoke screen. And a lot of the liberal theology of uh, you can't trust all the Bible, it's covered with the smoke screen. So let me just say one more thing about that, because I see this a lot of times, you hear this even in Bible teachers sometimes, 
And uh, I just, it's something to watch out for when you hear a teacher. Sometimes you hear, hear a teacher say, okay, they'll tell about the background of the Bible, the people that maybe Colossians was first written to, or maybe First uh, and Second Thessalonians was first written to, or maybe even into the Old Testament, the people of God that the book of Psalms was first written to. And they'll go into all their understanding of the people that was first written to and the times, and they'll tell you why their understanding means that the Bible doesn't really mean what it says. It really means this, that we can erase this part because it just was for those people back then. And we can erase this part. You know, the, all the all scriptures inspired by God, all scripture except the, the parts that I can erase for historical reasons were inspired by God. And they won't say it that way. They won't say I'm erasing this part or I'm changing this part. They'll just act like, um, they'll act like, their understanding of the Bible is actually wiser or smarter than the Bible itself. Because I understand the history, because I understand the background, the Bible doesn't really mean what it says. Well, the Holy Spirit inspired it. That's what I believe. And so the Bible does mean what it says. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean there aren't some parts that I have a struggle to understand because of some historical background? I think we'll get to a question about that later. No. But you have to really be careful of uh, those who would say, because I understand the history of the Bible, that means I understand the Bible better than you do. Because I understand the history of the Bible, that means I can tell you what the Bible means, even though you know in your spirit that that's not what it means. First uh, John tells us you check in your spirit whatever teachers say. You don't check it in research books, you let the Holy Spirit check it. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you a check in your spirit many times. That, mm, there's something wrong with that. You should trust that when you hear that from God's spirit. Is it always right? No, because sometimes it wasn't God's spirit. It was my background or it was my, I had a bad day or whatever. But most of the time when you have that check in your spirit, it's God's spirit speaking to you. Well, there's a question up here in the chat that asks about how you answer an unbeliever who states that the stories of the Bible don't pertain to what's going on today. It reminds me of the application we bridge that we use so much at Saddleback. Yes. You know. You know. Yeah. Uh, and that, thank you. Go ahead, Linda, since you're talking, tell us oh, what shoot. that application okay. bridge is. <laughs> so anytime you come to a passage of scripture, what Pastor Tom was just talking about, the history, the culture, the context, that's what it meant to the people who received it. Because remember, all of these things were written to real people who received them in the context of real history, real culture, real lives. So it meant something to them when they received it. But then underneath the text and within the text, there are underlying principles. There's things that we learn about God. There's things that we learn about the way God loves us. There's things that we learned about ourselves as people. So those underlying principles are then what we take from any story. And then that's what we can derive application from. So, you know, I may not have ever slew a giant with rocks, but there are things that I know about God's faithfulness and that I can see about God providing for me and meeting me in the midst of a challenge and about him fighting my battles for me that then I can take and I can apply in my own life. Does that make sense? So that's kind of, that's the difference. Did I get it, Tom? Yeah, no, good? that's perfect. That's perfect. Great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're the best one to tell me if I got it right. So... <laughs> What you're doing is you're, is you're moving from the then to the now. Mm -hmm. And, the, and the, that's the bridge that Linda's talking about. And the bridge between the then, what it said to people then, or the stories of then, and the now, what's happening now, is the timeless principle. Mm -hmm. There's a timeless principle that bridges between then and now. So if I read the story of Moses and how God said, throw your stick on the ground, it becomes a snake, and now pick it up and it's a stick again, that's an interesting story, but what does it mean to me today? Mm -hmm. So that's where you come. What's the timeless principle? What was God teaching Moses about faith in that moment? And there's a lot of things he was teaching them. I mean, one of them was uh, you have to make, you take what's in your hand and you make it available to God. When you let it go, when you make it available to God, God can do miracles. As long as you hold on to it and you try to keep it as yours, then it's just a stick. That's all it is. So that's the timeless principle. And that timeless principle is always the bridge between the then and the now in the Bible. God. That's good. Really um, good. If it's okay, Jacqueline Chung has a question. We were going to unmute her and let her ask her question. Is that okay? Beautiful. I love it. All right. Jacqueline. Hi. Um, is it, which one about the Old Testament? Yeah. Your most recent okay. question. Yeah. Okay. Got it. I'm full of them. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, I guess one of the things that I've always had a hard time explaining 
um, not just to myself, but anyone who asks, is um, the Old Testament is so full of laws and commands that God himself said um, he commanded, I, I think, the Israelites, but I'm not positive, to uphold those laws forever. And I know I've always wondered, even though I know Jesus kind of fulfilled the law, um, do we, are we still supposed to uphold those? And how would we, you know, based on today's standards, those laws seem really extreme. So how would we explain to someone who's either an unbeliever or just trying to make sense of if the Bible is this, you must follow everything, you know, what do you do? No, with, that's a great do you question. you just ignore the Old Testament? Like, <laughs> No, you don't. You know, because what you just said is true, Jacqueline. Uh, Jesus said, uh, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And so he fulfilled it. Does that mean it's just erased? Um, one way to think about it is with, when it comes to the laws of the Old Testament, there are three kinds of laws. There's moral law, there's civil law, and then there's uh, sacrificial or Levitical law. So there's laws that have to do with how we're supposed to live our lives. Those are the Ten Commandments. That's the best example of that, you know, that we all know. And then there's civil law, how the people uh, of Israel were supposed to run the government and run the nation of Israel. And then there is uh, the law that has to do with the Levitical sacrifices uh, and uh, a lot of those things. When you, st when you look at the New Testament, it's very obvious. Well, first of all, it's obvious that the civil law is not needed anymore because of a couple things. The nation of Israel doesn't exist anymore. We are the people of God now, brought together, uh, both Jew and Gentile alike, the book of Galatians tells us again and again. So we're brought together. But also we're told, like when, when you remember when Peter had all those foods brought before him and God said, go ahead and take and eat now. So God was saying there, I'm taking away this law that was in the Old Testament that was very important at that time. It is no longer a valid law. So he wipes out that law. So those are the civil and the sacrificial laws. Now, the sacrificial laws can't even be accomplished today because there's no temple in Jerusalem. But So then you come to the moral laws, and you think, well, does that mean, like, the, do not murder, that's wiped out too? Do not steal, that's wiped out too? No, not at all. It just means that they're, those are the, that's what's fulfilled in Jesus. And in the book of Galatians, Galatians 5 talks about how even the civil laws are fulfilled in the fact that now we live under the one law of loving one another. But the book of James talks about the same thing. Now there's one royal law, it says, that we love one another. So the whole law is filled up, is fulfilled in that command to love one another. That's very powerful. It's, so today, the, com the, the heart behind the command is what we live, which is the heart to love. Now, the Old Testament can inform that heart. How do we love one another? Well, not killing people is a good idea, you know, right? Uh, and not even killing them, Jesus said, in our mind, in the way we think about them. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount took that to a new level. So not stealing people, yeah, but not stealing the reputation, even, in the gossip that we have that the New Testament talks so much about. So those laws uh, have been radically changed by Jesus in the New Testament, there's no doubt. Not done away with, but radically fulfilled and, and change? That's a really good question. Thanks. Um, I have another one from Henry Hendrawati. Brandon, will you- Hi, Henry. <laughs> see, I don't know where he is. Henry, do you wanna ask your question? Yeah, hi, hello. Hi, um, sorry. I'll have to unmute. Um, so, Pastor Tom, I had a friend who I failed because she wanted to speak to me about our faith. And she started our conversation by saying that uh, she has trouble with our faith because um, of the Bible. The Bible is stories. And my first response was, of course, it's stories. We learn by stories. And um, we teach each other by stories. And that didn't seem to satisfy her question. So I think, um, how could I have answered her better? Well, I think it helps people to think about current things. Like, uh, why is America here? Well, there's a guy that lived 
by the name of George Washington. And I talked about Jefferson earlier, so I guess I'm on that, you know, early presidents thing. There were people that lived and stories of what happened in the battles that they fought. And America wouldn't be here without those events and stories. It changed world history. Uh, and Jesus came into this world and he changed world history. The only way to change things uh, is by actually interacting with history. Your friend might be a very scientific thinker. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, maybe they think the only way to prove something is by the scientific method. Uh, and they, they, does that make sense as I say that? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people who think that way today. But the problem with that is, uh, how, how did you get married? How did you have kids? There's stories that are behind that. You don't get married based on the scientific method. You don't have kids based on the scientific method. So they, they've convinced themselves somehow that the only thing that's real is, um, is something that is, can be proven in a, in, a, in a test tube or in a lab. When the truth of the matter is, everything we see around us that is the nation of America or the nation of China or, or the nation of Vietnam or, or the nation of England, it's all based on stories of what people did and how those events and actions changed the course of history. And Jesus uh, changed the course of history, any historian would say, more than any human being who's ever lived. So you have to come to grips with what that means. Uh, and there's a little bit of scientific method in there. So then having said all that, I'd say one more thing. Just love your friend. I can't tell you how many people who are scientific method people who say, you know, I kept telling them, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. And they just kept loving me. And they just kept loving me. They just kept coming back. And they just kept loving me. And finally, the love just got to me. They just loved me into the kingdom of God. Because uh, the truth is, even if you could prove scientifically God to, to that person, they wouldn't accept the truth. Because scientific proof is not enough to change my life. They need radical love in their lives. And so they may not act like the love that you're loving them with is changing their hearts and lives, but I'm telling you it is. I, I know that it is, uh, not only because the Bible says it, but also because I've seen it reflected in so many stories of people who came to Christ from that very same background who just had their family or a friend or somebody keep loving them, not give up on loving them. Thank you. That's awesome. I'll Thanks. tell you one story about that. Uh, my friends, Neil and Robin, um, Robin had a brain aneurysm and went in uh, and the doctor, I was in the waiting room with, with Neil uh, when the doctor came out and said, she's not going to survive, Neil. There's no way that she's going to survive. Even if she survives, she's going to be a vegetable. And Neil said, I hear what you're saying, doctor, but I, I want to believe by faith, and I'm going to believe by faith that God's going to work in her life to heal her. And uh, the doctor was a, you know, he was an unbeliever, scientific method guy. And um, so Neil just kept, he loved Robin, even though she wasn't able to think or speak. He loved her, he cared for her, and gradually she was able to speak, uh, gradually she was able to move her hands, and gradually she was able to get in a wheelchair and get around in a wheelchair, and even eventually, not really well, but she was able to walk. And this doctor watched what happened, and he said to Neil one day, this has been transforming for me. And it wasn't like the miracle of healing, it was the miracle of love how you had the ability to keep loving her through these circumstances again and again and again. And that love transformed my thinking. So that's the power that, of love that we're talking about. I think there was a song written about that a long time ago. You guys that are older, the power of love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna jump back to the ones that were asked online. Yeah, um, that's is... not fair. If you already asked them, we can't skip by your questions. You guys already sent them in, so. <laughs> So many good ones in the chat. We had to do those too. So I love that. <laughs> um, so this um, one of them says Genesis tells us we were created from Adam and Eve, but then the world was destroyed by a flood. Does that mean we came from Noah and his family? By the way, how are dinosaurs explained? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so the first answer is easy. Everything shrunk down to Noah and his family. So that means all of us have in our lineage Noah and his family. 
Yeah. And of course, Noah and his family somehow, because everything started with Adam and Eve, uh, came from Adam and Eve. So all of us have in our lineage also Adam and Eve. But if you want to trace back, you know, as far as we can, we're all somehow from part of Noah's family. Now, is it Shem, Ham, or Japheth? We don't know. And uh, people have done a lot of weird theories about that over the years, actually, that have, uh, you know, gotten into, um, you know, there, there is unorthodoxy, which is, means it's just wrong. Unorthodox, an, or, an orthodox teaching is a true teaching of the Bible. An unorthodox teaching is just wrong. It's totally wrong. There's also something called hyper-orthodox, and that means I just made it up from what the Bible said. And it could be right or wrong. You know, I could say, you know, Joseph, while he was in prison, he ate beans. That's all he ate. That's why God blessed him. And you'd go, well, how do you know that? I don't know it. I just made it up. It's hyper-orthodox. There's a lot of hyper-orthodox teaching out there. And you think there's some foundation for it, but usually they just made it up. And they find some little bit of history or something somewhere that makes it sound like it's real. And people eat it up because, like, it's cool. It's new. I've never heard that before. A lot of times when you've never heard it before, it's hyper-orthodox. I didn't, you, 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 didn't, you probably didn't know you were going to hear about hyper-orthodox tonight. But anyway, uh, so first question, easy. Second question, dinosaurs. I don't know. I, I don't know about the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. I mean, there's large beasts talked about in, in Job and a little bit in Psalms, maybe in one place. And people say, well, that could be a dinosaur. Well, it doesn't say it's a dinosaur. So I don't know, uh, you know, about that. Uh, Bible doesn't say anything about unicorns either, just in case you needed to know that. That's not in there. I know unicorns weren't real and dinosaurs were real. I, I get that. And I, and I get some of what's behind the question of dinosaurs, which is how do they fit into the creation order? And uh, we're going to study that. Actually, you got to stick around all the way for Foundations Course 2. And that's not fair to tell you you have to stick that long. But the answer really is a two-week answer. And you could skip ahead. Don't, t don't tell anybody I told you you could do this. But you could skip ahead if you really had to and, and see those and get a sort of a sense of, of some of that. So that's good about the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it looks like Dan Beck has a question, and he's having trouble typing it in. So we're going to unmute Dan and have him right, ask Dan. his question. <laughs> All right. Dan, you there? Yes, I am here. All right. Um, I have a question because I know in the book and in the video, you talked about about this um, this talk on the um, – there was a talk about when they were talking about the Bible, the King James, and they were, they were, I was told by the Mormons that they were throwing out books and all this whatnot. And how do you explain something like that to a Mormon? Yes. <laughs> so I have talked to a lot of, thanks, thanks, Dan. That's a good question. I have talked to a lot of people who have Mormon backgrounds and they've been taught and have a strong belief that there's other books that have authority besides the Bible, the Book of Mormon. So that's really the issue, is do other books have authority besides the Bible? And, and uh, if somebody believes that and is living that way, it's very hard to argue them into a different place. Uh, in fact, argument usually isn't going to work. Uh, my, my friend, I talked about, I'm going to talk about him twice tonight. My friend Ron Rhodes uh, also has done a lot of work with Mormons. And so he can, he can actually argue with a Mormon and show them exactly why they're wrong. And he's discovered it never leads them to Christ. It just makes them mad uh, if they're not ready to hear the truth yet. So somebody has to be ready to hear the truth first. And we go back to love, continuing to love people and those kinds of things. If somebody's asking you what you believe, I think explaining, well, we have a difference of belief. I believe that only the Bible was written by God. You believe that the Book of Mormon was already also written by God. And that's just, we got a big difference. We just got to recognize that. And just in a friendly way, you tell them the truth that you, that, and also, you know, uh, billions of believers around the world believe that only the Bible was written by God. And so that's one way to explain that. If, if, if it goes a little bit deeper, uh, you know, talking about what we talked about earlier, that none of the places that are talked about historically that are written about in the Book of Mormon, like in America, are discovered. Uh, talking about the fact that 
some of the languages that were used or supposedly been used uh, can't be verified from the Book of Mormon. That uh, the external uh, the external evidence and the internal evidence that we talked about are not there with the Book of Mormon. So you got to just trust that Joseph Smith was right. You're trusted in one guy. When you trust the Bible, you're trusted in hundreds of authors who wrote over centuries. And when you trust the Book of Mormon, you're trusting one guy. And it's just good to say, not say, hey, I'm not arguing with you about that. I'm just saying that's the difference between mm -hmm. uh, the tr kind of trust that we have. That's a good way to start, I think, sometimes. So that's a great question. Well, the thing is, you know, I, I fell into that trap. And I'm trying to get out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I think at some point, I'm teaching you, uh, in fact, all of us, as we teach in foundations, Kay and I, and whoever teaches, we want to build your faith. But to take some of what we're teaching you and try to use it to argue with an unbeliever oftentimes will not help them to come to faith. We've talked about this for some reason several times tonight, so I think God wants to get this across to all of us, myself included, uh, that argument doesn't bring you to faith. It just sort of hardens your position usually. Uh, you know, I have a lot of, you know, I, I got some prejudice even about this. I mean, you even watch this stuff on the internet where you got, uh, you know, atheists and believers. And it's interesting to me, but usually the audience in that, they'll find one or two unbelievers that ask a question, but it's 99% believers who come to hear this argument between uh, an unbeliever and a believer, like an atheist and a you know theologian. And I just feel like, is that guy going to be led to Christ through this? How in the world is that going to happen? He's sitting on a stage in front of all these people. Is he going to be convinced? Or is he going to be convinced when I become his friend and I sit with him and talk with him? So there's almost a Christians and the lions kind of feel to it sometimes. Not all the time. I'm not down in every time that happens. Please don't take too strongly what I'm saying. But many of the times there's a Christians and the lions thing that I feel like, no, it's not win the argument, it's win the person. It's also those stories that you hear about, you know, in a classroom, you got some professor teaching uh, and telling people why the Bible's wrong, and you got the freshman Christian who stands up and makes the teacher look like an idiot by what he says. Those are great stories. It never really happened, and actually, it's not the way it should happen. If you know the truth, you should go to the professor individually afterwards and say, hey, could we talk? Maybe over coffee sometimes? Because the object isn't to make him look like a fool. If you're not a believer, you're going to look like a fool someday in the sight of God. And that's what we have to worry about. So instead of like me winning the argument right now, it's how can I win the person in mm -hmm. this case? And what we have to be careful of, sometimes as Christians, we have this inadequacy complex where we feel like, I got to show myself that I'm right. No, you don't. God already says he's right. Whether you feel like he's right or not, he's right. His truth is what's going to stand in the end. And you can stand in great confidence in that. And that's what makes us not have to argue. I, I love that, that we don't have to argue. Now, having said that, I still get drawn into arguments sometimes because they're fun, right? So I, I, I got to check my spirit also on that sometimes. But it's a good thing for all of us to remember when it comes to, especially these arguments about the Bible. All of a sudden, they're thinking about, well, what happened to Job? And what about dinosaurs? And what, what, what happened to the book of Genesis? And what we really want to think about is, what about Jesus? Mm. The way he transformed my life. The way he transformed history. The way he's going to transform eternity. Don't, don't get off of that. Don't forget about that. Because all those other things, they're a smokescreen to the unbeliever. They don't want to think about Jesus because that's the clarity of mm -hmm. I got to repent. I got to change my heart and life. Right. So these are long answers. I know, Linda. Thanks. No, they. <laughs> it is such a gift to hear from you. Um, Susan Ricci has a question. We're going to unmute Susan and have her ask her question. Hi, hi Pastor Holiday. Um, I have, have to a call question. me Pastor Tom, and I feel better. Okay, Pastor Otherwise, Tom. I feel too old. <laughs> Thanks, Susan. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I was trying to understand about the Holy Spirit when it's helping you understand the Bible. Sometimes I re read the Bible, and I just really, even if I, you know, I just really don't understand it when I'm reading it. Can you explain that a little bit? Does that come after time, or do you have to be in the right frame of mind? Sometimes I wonder if I'm in the right frame of mind when I'm reading the Bible. No, I don't think, I don't, well, yeah, I think that's true for all of us. It's not the right frame of mind, but it's the right uh, listening spirit before God. Okay. And in order to 
hear what God says through his spirit, through his word. I have to quiet my spirit. Uh, sometimes I have to get in a place where I can hear, where it's not too busy. All of those things are important. But what you're describing is, is the case for all of us. Uh, it's not like uh, for, for some parts of the Bible, when you become a believer, it's like the light switch got turned on and boom, the room is flooded with light. You'll find that with a lot of the Gospels. Uh, you find that with a lot of the letters in the New Testament. But there's other parts of the Bible where it's like uh, the light's coming on, but it's on a dimmer switch. And sometimes it's a very slow dimmer switch and it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Now, why is that? Well, because a lot of the parts of the Bible, you have to understand other parts of the Bible. It, it's, it's a complete book. And so the answer isn't in that one passage. It's in, it's in maybe several other books that you have to understand. We're going to talk about God, the truth about God next, and the truth of the Trinity. The truth of the Trinity is one of those dimmer switch truths. There's no doubt about it. And it's not found in one passage in the Bible. You have to go all over the Bible to read about it. And so what you're describing, Susan, it's my experience also. And even though I've been teaching the Bible for a lot, a lot of years, there's still parts of the Bible where the dimmer switch is slowly coming up. You know, where I'll, I'll read in my quiet time a passage and say, Lord, I still don't completely understand this. And then maybe he'll give me a little bit more light on it that day, and I'll, I'll write that in. Uh, a lot of reasons for that, you know, it has to do with what we need at the time. It has to do with the culture that we live in, and some of the cultural things that we face make it very hard for to hear some of the truths in the Bible. We've got to, got, got to get rid of a lot of cultural baggage to be able to hear it. Our personal uh, lives and we, we've, what we've gone through in our lives and some of the false teaching that we've got to get rid of. There's a lot of reasons why that dimmer switch is true of some parts of the Bible. But if you keep reading, I've found, without a shadow of a doubt, the light gets brighter and brighter. Uh, but, but I also want to affirm, that's not all the Bible. I want to go back to what I said at first. Many parts of the Bible, it's like, wow, you read it, I never understood this before. Now it's as clear as a bell to me. Uh, in fact, I would say for most of us, that's 80 to 90% of the Bible. And we get hung up on the parts that are hard, like what's wrong with me? Well, what about the 80 to 90% that I do understand that God's transforming my life through? That's what you want to focus on, I think. Great. Thank you for that answer. You're, well, thank you for that wonderful question. <laughs> Tom, this next one kind of, and I, I'm watching our time so that we honor everybody's time, but this next one kind of wraps up from the fact that there are things that we, we learn as we go. They, they kind of, our understanding grows. What if you're talking to somebody about the Bible and you don't even know, you come to something and you don't even know how to explain it? What do you say to them? Like if you don't well, even understand awesome. it yourself. This is really important. One of the most important tools in, in sharing your faith are three words. I don't know. <laughs> Being able to say to somebody, hey, I'm just learning. I got to admit, I don't know. Well, maybe you got to add some more words. But you know what? I'll look into it for you. Mm -hmm. I'll study it for you. Don't ever be afraid of saying you don't know something about the Bible. Uh, don't, especially don't try to act like you know when you don't know. That's no fun, is it? You know, uh, that's just, you just feel like you're fumbling and you don't feel very good afterwards. And I think we feel sometimes like, well, because I'm a Christian, I should know everything. But admitting sometimes that you don't know yet might be the very thing that leads that person to come to know Christ. Because most people, um, when they think about coming to Christ, most people feel like, you're here, like if you're a Christian, you're way up here, so let me put my hand way up above my head, and they feel like they're way down here, way down below the screen. And they feel like there's an impossible gap in between the two, that they can't bridge that gap. I cannot get from where you are, where I am to where you are. And you saying something like, I don't know, it just brings it a little bit closer. So maybe they see, well, maybe I could. Maybe I don't have to be perfect first. Maybe I don't have to know everything first. You know, and so talking about doubts and saying, you know, you doubt your doubts and I still have doubts, but I don't doubt in my salvation. Those are really important things to say. So I don't know. That's a good question. I hope you ask the next one. You can say, I don't know. And then I can be an example of what we just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm looking here and we've gotten through everything that was submitted and I'm not seeing anything new come up. So I want to honor everybody's time. Is there any, anything last minute before I, I'm wrapping up? Hey, Linda, can I ask a question? 
Yes. Hi. Hi, Pastor Rob. Rob. Um, one of the questions that uh, I get asked a lot about, and it's an interesting question. I'd love to hear Tom uh, talk to us about it, is the different translations of the Bible. Um, you know, Pastor Rick uses different translations, and I know that all of us have different favorite translations, and sometimes you hear, like, believers arguing about, like, is there one translation that's better than the other? And just love to hear Tom talk about that. Well, that's good, because we don't talk a lot about that in, uh, in foundations. We do some in class 201. We talk a little bit about that. When you look up different translations, you'll see that some things are called paraphrases, and some things are called translations, like the message paraphrase. The Living Bible originally was a paraphrase. A paraphrase is usually written by one person, uh, who knows the ancient languages. They know Hebrew, and they knew, know Greek. Hebrew, uh, the Old Testament was written in, and Greek, the New Testament was written in. Uh, so they know the languages, uh, but they take from those languages, and they just do a personal paraphrase of it. Uh, so that's not an accurate translation, but many times can help you. It's good to read sometimes, because it can help you in your understanding of the Bible. Like, how would you put it as a translator? An accurate translation, you know, like... Uh, the, the living Bible paraphrase went to become the new living translation. And when they did that, they went from one guy paraphrasing it to a hundred, about a hundred scholars and the languages looking it through and doing a translation of it. So anytime you're reading a translation, you're relying on, you're leaning on a hundred scholars or so who know the Bible languages, Hebrew and Greek, who are looking back at the earliest copies that we have. We don't have the originals of any of those. We talked about that in, in Bible, but they're looking back at the earliest. They're not doing this thing like we talked about in, uh, in foundations where they're, you know, it got translated uh, in, in the 200s and then it got translated again in the 500s. And, and then they did it again from the one in the 500s to the one in, in the year 700. And so it got like this game of telephone where it got changed down through the years. They're not looking at previous translations in other languages. They're looking back to the original languages, the earliest, every time, the earliest documents, and they're giving you a translation. Uh, why do we have all these different translations? Because, uh, well, one, because the Bible, <laughs> the most <laughs> obvious reason is the Bible is uh, by far the best-selling book. So if I want to sell books, and I'm a uh, Bible, uh, I'm a Christian publisher, I, I need to have a translation out there, because that's how I'm going to survive as a, as a publisher. And so what do they do in those translations? In those translations, they speak to different audiences. And different audiences, when you think about translations, there's two uh, basic, there's, there's like a, uh, a continuum that you work on in translations. On one side of the continuum is, is word for word where you would translate exactly what the Hebrew word said and what the Greek word said. There's no exact word for word translation because we couldn't understand it because the word order in Hebrew is different. And even in Hebrew, uh, you know, some of the vowels that we would have uh, aren't, aren't even the same. So it would be unintelligible to us to try to read something that was in the exact word order. It wouldn't make any sense, but there are, there are, um, there are uh, translations that try to be as close as possible to the original word order, like New American Standard. Uh, one of their goals in their, in their translation is to be as close as possible to the original word order, which makes the English a little bit tortured at times, but they're, they're trying to help people who read the Bible in a certain way. And then, and then you have others that are more just thought for thought. So the, the continuum is word for word, what do the words say, and thought for thought, what do the thoughts say? And there's no pure thought for thought. I, th I guess message paraphrase would be the closest to it. You know, what are the thoughts that are in the Bible and trying to get those across in today's language? Most translations are somewhere in that continuum. And depending on how you think as a human being, you know, how, how God's wired you, one's going to be more attractive than the other for helping you to connect with understanding God's word. So if you have like new, if you have like a New American Standard on one side and Message on the other side, uh, reason we'd say read New Living is it would be more in the middle, probably a little more toward the thought for thought, you know. And then you've got some others like uh, Revised Standard or those kinds of versions that would be a little more towards the word for word. 
Uh, it also depends on what you're doing. If you're reading the Bible, it's good to be, it's better to read more of a thought for thought. It's, if you're just trying to read through it. If you're doing a deep study of something in the Bible, it's good to sort of focus a little bit more on maybe something that's stronger in the word for word. It helps a little bit more. But all of it is just sort of flavors. For me, it's like ice cream. You know, it's, it's flavors, good translations. I like chocolate. I like vanilla. You know, they're all good. They're all good. And honestly, I, I like ice cream enough. I don't just eat chocolate. I eat vanilla sometimes. I eat strawberry sometimes. I eat, you know, blackberry sometimes, whatever. You know, there's a lot of flavors that I like. So reading from a lot of translations can be a really good thing. So thanks, Rob. That's a good, really good question. And I think it's the perfect one for us to end on. Um, I want to honor everyone's time. So I'm going to kick it back over to Pastor Brandon, and he's going to wrap us up and pray us out. Pastor Brandon. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> Yes, Pastor I want to give. Thank you, thank yeah, thank you. You. Let's clap it up for Pastor Tom. Yes, Pastor Tom, a big thank you. Big thank you. And you guys, a big thank you to you as well with great questions um, that really helped facilitate a great night. This was a really rich time. Um, I learned a ton and I pray and I hope that you guys learned a ton as well. Just want to, before we hop off, two weeks from now, June 11th, we're going to be on at the exact same time, seven o'clock to eight o'clock. That's June 11th on Zoom, same exact time. And you can actually use the same link, which is great. Also on Thinkific, if you, I know that you guys are registered for the course. We have uh, a lot of people registered for the course actually. So go on there in the next two weeks and go through the section on God. And that's what we'll be discussing in our next Zoom session. So be on the lookout for this. It's going to be on our Doable Discipleship podcast. Um, so that, again, the questions you ask have great reach and not just questions you're asking, but a lot of people are asking these questions and now they're going to have solutions and answers, which is amazing. Also, the more questions you have, if you have questions about different parts of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever comes up, give Drive Time Devotions a listen. Um, that is an incredible resource for you that's going to help you in your journey um, in reading the Bible and getting to know Jesus more. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pastor Tom on the topic of the Bible. I know that we did. Uh, it's really great just to let him get in there and answer so many questions that I know that we have and I know that sit in the back of our minds sometimes. So I really pray that that was a helpful uh, and instructing episode for you. So next week, we're going to be talking... Uh, same, same format, we're going to be going through the topic of God. So definitely stay tuned for our next Tuesday release. You'll really enjoy it. Pastor Tom does an incredible job with that one. Again, if you want to get in on this conversation, if you want to get in on this uh, study and these materials, check out saddleback.com slash foundations, saddleback.com slash foundations, and you can get up to speed with everything that's going on. It is an incredible resource. And if you haven't gone through it, I highly, highly, highly recommend you give it a shot. Jason, anything else? Highly recommend you give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got. Awesome. awesome. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We'll be back with you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com send us your thoughts send us your questions your bible questions your life questions whatever who knows your question might just inspire an upcoming episode thanks again for tuning in to doable discipleship i'm jason whelan and i hope you'll join us again next week